0: Man-made climate change refers to the gradual warming of the earth due to an increased level of heat retained in the atmosphere by gases emitted through human industrial, agricultural, and transportation-related activities, among others. According to NASA, this prolonged trend will have detrimental effects on the uh, environment and human society, Predicted effects include risen sea levels, droughts, floods, and increased hurricane activity. It is for all of these reasons why there has been a push across the world to take preventative action through government policies. However, such interventions would disrupt our economy, which is largely built on industries where emission of gases such as carbon dioxide is the norm. About a year ago, Canada officially declared a national climate change emergency. The situation has been called a climate change crisis and an existential threat by some. Ultimately, one of the most fascinating policy questions of our time is how to effectively curb climate change while downloading the negative economic effects of intervention onto people to the least extent. Last year, in the lead-up to the 2019 Canadian federal election, climate change became one of the most prominent topics of public discussion here at home and across the world. Since then, other major events such as the West Sueton protests, COVID-19, and the anti-police brutality protests have taken Canadian public attention away from climate change, but the crisis still continues. So, welcome to Civ News, everyone. Um, Today we're going to be talking about uh, climate change and uh, policies that would be ideal to solve it, um, among other issues that deal with um, the relationship between governments, countries, and climate change. And so, the guest that I have brought on today is someone I have been looking forward to having on for for quite a while, and this is largely because uh, he has some experience running a podcast as well. Um, and so, uh, I'd like to introduce you all to Abraham Litwin Logan.
1: Well, thank you, Ron, for having me on your show. I really like what you've done with the politics centric focused um, of the show. For those who don't know me, my name is Abraham Litwin Logan. I'm a law student studying at UCL in London, England, and uh, like Ryan, I'm a bit of a political nut myself, I would say. Along with some friends, I've recently started a podcast, which has been running for several months now, where we discuss you know, the hot topics of today, whether it's law-related, cultural-related, or politics-related. Um, personally, I've um, done some volunteer work with the Conservative Party of Canada. I would say I'm politically um, right-leaning, so I think that's important to understand for how our conversation um, goes today. Okay. Um the topic of climate change, I think um, everyone today, for the most part, knows how large of an issue it is and how important uh, it is to not only discuss the issue, but to discuss real provable effectiveness that um, deal with the horrible effects of climate change, which Ryan, you know, just mentioned, along with considering the detrimental economic effects of certain solutions. So, so excited to be here with you today, Ryan. So thanks again for having me on.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. This is, this is going to be a good one. Um, So just to let you know about the kind the well, the range of topics that, that that we can discuss well it's it's pretty much free range it's 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 an open conversation and while civ news uh, focuses on the canadian perspective uh, canadian perspective on most issues um as as will likely be the case with this discussion it's perfectly okay to talk about other countries and also different government levels like um federal state provincial municipal um uh whatever you feel appropriate to 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 make your points because i i know you've lived in in multiple countries over the years um um and also it's it other countries can provide interesting precedents in terms of what what we're talking about because uh this issue is uh the issue of climate change is faced by all countries and uh other countries def- provide different uh, policies and approaches to facing it and the results are are interesting to look at. Uh, and also, it's okay to stutter and backtrack. I, 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 with these interviews, I typically like to, to keep the the footage pr- I mean, sorry, the audio recording pretty raw, but if you say something that's like completely com- completely like stupid or factually wrong, I can I can just edit the track. I I, I guess the first question is is the big one. Um I'll just kind of mm-hmm. open it up. Uh, what policies do you think hit the best balance between uh, uh, environmental benefit
1: and economic benefit? Probably the key question in this conversation today. But before I get into that, I just want to emphasize something uh, you just said. Although we may be focused on a very Can- uh, Canadian-centric view of climate change, we have to understand that climate change really is a global issue. We share our atmosphere with people across the globe, the ozone is across the globe. So I think we have to really um, think about that perspective when we're considering um, various policy, because we may be doing a great job in Canada, or perhaps the United States is like, doing a great job, or perhaps um, the UK is doing a great job. But if countries across the world are doing a very poor job, this, directly affects our policy efforts and I think that's really important to consider when we're um, advocating for certain climate change policy. So um, with that I guess just a few um, broad strokes policies which um, I've looked at the data on and I think would not only be effective in deterring and uh, mitigating um, global warming but also wouldn't have such severe detrimental Um, economic effects of certain other policies. So some of these policies would be to promote a greater shift uh, towards nuclear energy, uh, which is a proven energy source, which is um, highly efficient and isn't nearly as detrimental to our environment. This would also include investigating um, thorium reactor technology, which we don't have the technology to put into action quite yet. But within the next decade, this is something we could conceivably do. And thorium is essentially just a better version of nuclear energy. So that's something I think we should be putting you know, time, resources and money into, as well as, um, just planting a lot of trees. This may seem, you know, very rudimentary, but some very serious scientific literature has come out that suggests that planting, you know, millions and millions of trees across the globe, which of course is a, is a very significant effort, would actually help deter um, future effects of climate change, along with mitigating the, the current impact we're having on the environment. And then I think the last policy um, is probably the, the most broad policy, that I think we should discuss. But I think what's really important is that we don't dismiss the tools the free market has given us. Rather, I think we should take advantage of these tools and support you know, the the best technology we have, which is coming as a result of the free market and putting resources into that instead of putting uh, resources in terms of money, and that sort of thing, into technologies of the past. So for example, um, Things like carbon capture technology, which in Canada, in British Columbia, a firm recently has received a large investment towards. Um, but essentially, this is technology which creates these huge machines that suck carbon out of the air, and this is a, this seems to be very promising. Obviously, this isn't you know one thing that's going to fix climate change in its totality. But I think embracing what created. Things such as carbon capture, which is the free market, is incredibly important in our fight against um, climate change. You,
0: you, you, you gave a lot of uh, a lot of uh, points there, and I kind of want to unpack each one. Uh, you've you've given three points primarily: mm-hmm. um, being a proponent of nuclear, um, trees, and uh, carbon capture, uh, like specifically. Uh, carbon engineering in in British Columbia. Um, so, so those are all, uh, oh, yeah, and also the free market. That's, that's an important one too. Uh, I, I, I kind of want to go through a lot of those because there, there's a lot to talk about with each one, um, regarding nuclear energy. Um, I also think it, it it could be a good idea especially as technology uh becomes better uh lowering the risk of of uh a repetition of past disasters um and especially with the uh, development of uh another technology another n- nuclear energy technology that is almost ready called um uh SMRs uh which mm-hmm. uh are small modular reactors, various firms across the world are, are trying what they, what, uh, trying to do their best with that. Um, but I, so so when it comes to, uh, the transition away from, from, uh, oil and coal and, and gas, uh, I think, I think nuclear and hydro, um, are, are, are two of the best but i had still even though i think nuclear is one of the best i have mixed feelings about it i i have i have mixed feelings about it um one of one of the mixed feelings that i have is that um one of the, one of the great things that hydro and and solar and on all the other renewables can provide us is well exactly that they're renewable and even though mm-hmm. canada has a lot of, even though uh, Canada, according to uh, ENERCAN, has the the third largest deposit of uranium that is known to the world, uh, making about eight percent of the world's supply. Still, it is a um, non renewable source, and and you talked about how Thor. You touched on how thorium can kind of extend extend that lifespan, um, but still um if we're thinking about long term uh, long a real long term approach to uh, the next energy source that'll be the big one um it it, it to me it kind of sucks that we're replacing a non-renewable with with another non-renewable and then the other problem that i have with nuclear that um that's not enough of a problem to make me um, condemn it, but is still kind of a problem is, the, is nuclear waste needing a place to, to store that. So how, how do you respond to, to all of that?
1: Yeah, I, I think you make two really, really sound points. And I think it's important to understand that uh, when people advocate for nuclear energy, um, for the most part, people are advocating for nuclear energy in the short term while we look towards developing more long-term, more renewable sources of energy. Because the fact that climate change is affecting us now, it's gonna continue affecting us now, and we simply cannot wait for um, more advanced, uh, long-term, renewable energy when we're burning coal at um, record paces and that sort of thing. So transitioning to nuclear power plants would, I think, give us enough time for us to develop um, a more long-term um, mechanisms for um, energy use. And I think it's important to note that with um, current uh, technology of renewable energy with hydroelectrical systems, like I think you mentioned, along with things like uh, wind turbines and solar electricity, one really important distinction between these um, types of energy sources and nuclear power plants is their um, capacity factor. So this is the percentage of time that they operate on full power um, throughout an entire year. So if we take the United States for a a case study, because um, I think it's fair since they use nuclear power plants to power approximately 20% of their electricity grid. So they have a fairly sizable portion of power plants. for nuclear energy their capacity factor is 92 percent which means that they're operating on full power sixty-five days of a year right so when we compare this to um, renewable sources such as hydroelectrical systems they're only delivering full power 38 percent of the time wind turbines 34 percent of the time solar electricity 25 percent of the time so in reality we see that Um, these other uh, renewable sources aren't very efficient um, when we compare them to nuclear energy. So I think this just goes to show that we need more time to develop better technology so we can um, take advantage of renewable energy. So I think nuclear power plants would be more of a transitionary system. And then uh, your second um, concern was regarding nuclear waste disposal. And this is, I think, probably the most significant issue there is with nuclear energy at this current time. And this is still without a doubt a continuing political problem, but now it's becoming um, no longer a technological problem. We've come up with some really great ways to store nuclear waste. So it's uh, safe. Um, Keeping it away from um, people, that sort of thing. And I think we're even looking um, into ways of um, sending it out of our atmosphere and um, du- well, uh, I, I don't think dumping is the right word but storing it um, away from earth so we don't um, suffer any of that risk but but I do think that's a very fair concern um, regarding new... um, but I think what's really good to note even if if this might not be a concern of yours but many people are worried about nuclear energy because they hear about the disasters at Fukushima and Three Mile and other um, meltdowns like that. But what I was really surprised when I was researching nuclear energy is that there seems to be a pretty wide scientific consensus that studies indicate that the worst possible accident at a nuclear power plant is often less destructive than other major industrial accidents. So I think it's really important to keep that in the back of our heads when we're discussing a hot, you know, I guess, politically uh, charged topic such as nuclear energy. Hmm. You describe it as politically charged, but I actually I actually kind of disagree. Like I haven't heard it come up in mainstream discussion for a while. Well, I guess I was thinking more notably in the US. I'm not sure if you remember it. In the um, primary debates, Andrew Yang, who's a big proponent of nuclear energy, um, was asked about this a lot and uh, fellow candidates were asked about it. And it seemed largely that most of the other candidates were not on board with nuclear energy. Um, So I I think that in itself shows that it is at least partially a political topic. And you can even look at polling data of the general population there most certainly isn't a, a a very large consensus um that new that we should devote resources to
0: hmm interesting i i like the way that we've uh, kind of expanded on each other um in in your in your uh, main statement about um your your preferred policies you also mentioned you also mentioned um trees and planting mm-hmm. them in mass, um, I I honestly don't know if that would have actually as much of an uh, as much of a positive effect as something like carbon capture. And I, I on honestly, I think trees, even though it is um, well naturally occurring technology and it's free oxygen, I think it's it is a little bit overrated. Like um, re- regarding regarding the um the 20 million trees set to be planted in uh the famous uh, Mr Beast team trees effort um okay. this this is an article uh here here's a quote from an article in uh the Roosevelt News by uh Emma M- M- Mclelland, and it says however will 20 million trees make a difference um the short answer is no, it's not. Uh, in New York City, where there is a population of uh, eight and a half million, to completely erase the carbon footprint of all the people living there, uh, 342 million trees would need to be planted. Um, furthermore, there's no way to know for sure how many trees, uh, how many of the trees planted will actually um, grow. But that last sentence is more so in reference specifically to the Team Trees Project.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that's a fair point. Um, And I'd I'd probably direct you towards studies uh, um, such as a study that came out just last year from um, ETH Zurich, which found that if we were able to plant uh, a billion hectares of trees um, on Earth, we would be able to sequester more than 60% of total carbon emissions. So obviously a billion hectares is something like a trillion trees. That's an enormous amount of trees. But just to show that if we are able to um, plant mass amounts of trees, obviously more than the 20 million um, raised by that project, um, we would actually be able to reduce emissions. And I think it actually could be possible. If we look at India, for example, um, they had a, a tree planting day. They managed to plant 120 million trees in a single day. Which is an enormous amount of trees, and if, it, if, if I think if you could imagine, if the world, countries around the world, were able to come together on something so simple as planting trees, um, I, I think we would be able to create some sort of program that would um, reduce carbon emissions. Obviously, just planting trees isn't enough to totally get rid of climate change as a problem, but if we're able to, you know, plant. Um, 500 million hectares of trees or 250 million hectares of trees we're looking at reducing um, you know total um, carbon emissions by factors of 30% or 15% and while they may not seem like much those are enormous numbers uh, when we're looking at the issue on large and the current uh, solutions that are being suggested by governments across the world.
0: Hmm. Those are all those are all fair points. Um, just a just a note for the audience, um, the 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 stop and go uh, noise noises um, and the cutting out that you you hear from the voice, uh, from Abraham's voice isn't your internet messing up. It's just a, it's just a matter of the the um, Google Meet call between us, um, and so if if his voice sometimes cuts out for a second, don't worry. It's all just part of the recording. Um, you mentioned you mentioned finding solutions to climate change particularly through the free market uh and that's something that i agree with i am a, i am a proponent personally i am a pr- proponent for um lowering taxes or entirely making tax free um, items that can help individuals uh reduce their carbon footprint such as uh electric vehicles and so i'll i'll ask I'll ask a question to you that adds on to what you are saying. Um, what what do you think can be done to bring about greater market environmentalism?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a really great question. And I think an example, like you just mentioned, of um, subsidizing which is something uh, which certain states in the US are doing and we, we've done in certain provinces Um, I think that's an example of a consumer based policy that takes advantage of the free market and takes advantage of what the government can offer um, towards this this battle with climate change. Um, Besides that, I think policies such as um, subsidizing really um, top of the line, strong research into renewable energy, along with other um, technologies, thorium reactors or carbon capture. I think the government supporting um, firms in that way would be very positive. I think removing subsidies from fossil fuel companies is something which is also um, really important because um, I don't think fossil fuel companies will really move into the sectors of renewable energy at rates high enough that we need unless they're actually being subject to the free market and not being propped up um, by taxpayer dollars. and in addition to that, I think just lessening the amount of, right, on environmental-related uh, technological development, which makes it easier, for, from for people um, from all sorts of scientific backgrounds to, um, search these this field. Is there an opportunity that I can make some money? Oh, and also help the environment. I, I think I think um, policies such as those would be a really strong step forward in the in the right direction. And, and even just the government link to the private sector, and um, the country at large that, you know, we're committed to the free market based solutions. And we're not going to um, say, Oh, develop something. And you know, maybe we'll help you in the future, we're we're with you the whole ride, because we know that technology can often take a long time to develop, it can take a lot of money. And there can be, you know, Unforeseen as well as delays, but I, I, I think telling the private sector that you know we're on we're on your side for this one would would be really positive.
0: Hmm. You mentioned you mentioned something about the mentality of of um, new entrepreneurs. Well, what what you implied mm-hmm. to be new entrepreneurs that you that they would be inclined to uh, enter into a project that would. In your words, make them some money and then maybe also help the uh, environment along the way. Do you think that people are actually, do you think people actually have um, a, um, a, a positive and altruistic enough mindset for the free market to actually kind of ride on goodwill, essentially?
1: Well, I, I don't think it would be riding on goodwill. I think rather it would be these young entrepreneurs you refer to. They perhaps are just interested in the environment. Maybe they're studying environmental science or something along that. And that's what's going to cause them to go into private industry, but also to help. You know, I'm I'm not saying that all of a sudden, you know, everyone coming out of university is going to um, devote their resources, their time and energy into trying to help the environment of course that's not gonna happen. I'm speaking more towards the the select few that are going to make a difference in in the protection of the environment. And I think it's really important on this point specifically because I think um, the amount of environmental awareness uh, within our own generation and future generations is very high, which I I would presume would mean that once people uh, finish university and enter the various fields they enter into they likely would want to assist in you know protecting our environment whether it's through their actual place of employment or whether it's through you know helping fund a company that's prone um, that sort of thing
0: hmm hmm okay um you've taken a very free market approach to your well essentially platform of preferred uh climate change policies um which which does reflect your your sort of right-wing uh libertarian stance and so a question that i have is um w- what what do you think can be done to accumulate more conservative and uh, libertarian support for environmental pol- uh, for environmental policies because right now the left is pretty unilaterally for um well uh immediate action on climate change the center uh is similar similarly so but uh, on the right it's kind of a patchwork of of people who who um take a sort of green free market approach versus people who are pretty much just free market with with um minimal sort of uh, attention to, to uh, uh, climate change. So what do you think can be d- uh, yeah. done to accumulate more conservative and, and
1: libertarian support? Yeah, that that's a really tough question. And I would think it has to do with, you know, our politicians, um, our right-wing politicians running on policies that I'm talking about, rather than um, skirting away from the environmental debate they should be saying we recognize the damage that is being caused to ourselves to the environment to the world by climate change we're not denying that and we're you know pro the fight against um, global warming totally however we just have some different ideas of how we can you know help our economy while also helping the environment I would love to see more conservative politicians being very clear on that when personally what i what i've seen is um for the most part conservative politicians are a lot uh, more afraid i would say to engage in the environmental debate and i think this is largely because the left has dominated the environmental debate for decades they've been the ones you know um talking about global warming and various environmental issues for far longer than and i i think that's that's really un, uh, unfortunate. What do
0: you think these uh, conservative politicians are, are afraid of, being seen as
1: maybe uh, being left-wing, even though that's not true? Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things. Another thing is, for example, if a conservative politician to come out and say, oh, you know, I support nuclear energy. Nuclear energy is a topic which uh, a subject which most people hear and they're like, whoa, you know, calm down nuclear weapons, nuclear energy, this can't be good. Um, Something like nuclear energy is something that has to actually be researched and people need more information on that. And I I generally, I don't think politicians are incredibly good at communicating um, solid information about complex topics. In addition, um, I think even just supporting green initiatives such as carbon engineering and that sort of thing can sound sort of scary just because um, Policies relating to the environment is are, are often very complex and uh, hard to understand if you don't have much knowledge on them. And it's much easier for someone who's a politician on the left to say, "Oh, we need to, you know, um, stop climate change. Let's convert to solar." Everybody understands that, right? It's much easier to understand if if you're not very much into the. Um, the environmental debate so so i guess more generally i like to see conservatives um being very clear on on what they do and do not support and also being clear on they don't support certain things on the left um in a way which um they can communicate to their base i think we also have to recognize that certain things i've mentioned which i think would be positive steps such as removing subsidies on fossil fuels aren't very conservative uh uh, positions, I think most conservatives probably wouldn't support that. So even if we were to take half of my positions, which I think would, would definitely be fair, and uh, incorporate that into the conservative base, um, I, I think that would most certainly be a step in the right direction, because then the the most criticism we'll probably get is either, oh, we disagree with your way to solve climate change, or you're not doing enough. And that's a lot less convincing than oh, you, you just don't have a policy on climate change. Because climate change is such an important issue of our time, I think it makes it very difficult for people to vote for a platform that doesn't really have a platform on climate change and particularly young people.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with I agree with most of that. Um, I, I believe um, this is an issue that, um, that, well, because it is such a critical situation, it it would be important. It would be nice to see some multi partisan uh, collaboration on this, es- especially like as, as you were saying. Like the 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 biggest criticism that you can give to a a genuinely thought out uh, right wing and and non interventionist climate change policy is that. You, you don't like the method, or it's not effective enough. But if conservatives were to be uh, more upfront about well, their 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 green platforms, then I think they would largely be welcomed into the into the climate debate on the grounds that both the left and the right and the people in the center all discussing this all have a common end goal, like an actual goal rather than fighting about whether the goal actually exists. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so uh, what, what policies, you, you've mentioned a few of these, but what policies do you think conservatives and libertarians would support
1: Well, I I think very broadly, uh, without a doubt, libertarians would support a free market solution and they'd be really happy with the progress we uh, with technologies such as carbon capture. I think conservatives would also um, um, share that enthusiasm. I think um, nuclear energy is something that would probably appeal more um, to the conservative base than libertarians. Um, But I think uh, in a way... Perhaps nuclear energy can save us money in the long run, or perhaps nuclear energy is going to lower your, your, your. I'm not sure if this is what would actually occur, but I think framing the debate in such a way would um, prove to be very beneficial for conservatives and libertarians um, alike. I think in the past uh, few years, all maybe even decades, are political debate on the environment has really muddled down been muddled down to questions about the carbon tax, um, along with the pipeline. And I think personally, um, car- the carbon tax at its very best isn't that effective, isn't nearly as, as effective as any of the three solutions i provided. And I think the pipeline is, I guess, a separate issue in itself, and it is also a, a, quite a partisan issue. Um, so. I think just simplifying our focus to um sort of more broad solutions would be something that conservatives and libertarians would be able to find common ground on um with liberals and, and the like. Hmm.
0: Yes, I, I agree with most of that. I will I I think that um conser- uh libertarians and conservatives would um pretty much support um well, the idea that I came up with was maybe tax-free or low-tax, lowered-tax um, green technology. And pretty much, as you mm-hmm. were saying, whatever supports the capitalistic free market for, for green energy and, and represents sort of either minimal government involvement or lessening government involvement in the case of removing taxes on things. Um, mm-hmm. what, what about more authoritarian conservatives? What do you think would appeal to them?
1: Well, that's also quite a difficult question, because I think broadly, more authoritarian conservatives um, don't really recognize the environment as a very concerning issue. And I think politicians would have to do quite a bit of convincing to get them. But I I think, um, such as uh, introducing subsidies. would sort of appease them subsidies for green technology. But even if you wanted to go further, um, something like um, compelling the phase out of um, non-electrical vehicles by a certain date um, could be something positive. Or um, even if we said each household must plant one tree a year, sounds like a bit of a weird idea, but I mean, it it definitely wouldn't hurt. Uh, Things like that may, the right things to appeal to more authoritarian conservatives. But I think truly for them, the first step that needs to be taken is convincing them that it's not like pursuing environmental policy means that we're going to harm the economy. It's not like we can just forget about the environment and it's going to be fine. Um, This is a really serious issue and there are solutions that will work. um, And that will also not negatively affect the economy. Hmm, Okay. Um I like
0: I I I have a whole list of questions here and and everything we've talked about um is just kind of expanding into all these questions and so I'm not entirely sure of which one to ask next, which one would provide the best segue if I if I um mm-hmm. asked um next. And so I guess I'll I guess I'll pick um uh what do you think maybe some of the most lucrative environmentally helpful endeavors sorry could you say that one more time what do you think uh, could be some uh, some of the most lucrative environmentally helpful endeavors like like what what policies lucrative for whom uh lucrative for 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 citizens like what what policies or i i guess also I could expand the question to ask what policies or private market, I mean, private sector business business ventures would get, them, get people the most money while also being yeah, environmental. Well,
1: that's, that's very interesting. And I think I can give you a great case example which happened in the US. So in the about... 1960s um, era, era, their concern as air pollution in the US. And this led to some uh, modest federal regulations, but some very serious market mechanisms were adopted to incentivize um, reduced um, air pollution and incentivize solutions to air pollution. And as a result of this, um, by 1980s, so several decades later, air pollutants had declined by nearly 70%. And the economy had actually grown by almost 200%. So I think this goes to show that there isn't a relationship between um, solving environmental issues and um, economic uh, decline. And in terms of economically lucrative policies, I think focusing on things such as a technology, such as carbon capture is really positive. If we use the BC example, which we talked about a little bit earlier, this firm that started up um, trying to create this carbon capture technology, well, they're employing hundreds of people, you know, making good money because they need, you know, high um, tech related specifications. So um, they're doing really well. And let's say um, 10 years, company expands a lot and we're supplying carbon capture technology across the world this is going to create hundreds of thousands of jobs for Canadian citizens it's going to create billions of dollars of wealth for um, Canada as a country if we invest in top tier technology there's so much we can gain financially both in the short term of providing people with jobs and technological development but also in the long term with where if we you know continue to focus on this sort of thing we'll be able to sell our technology, license our technology. Canada could be a powerhouse for the technological fight uh, against um, climate change so I I think um, areas such as those would perhaps be the most lucrative um, for Canadian citizens.
0: Hmm. Okay and this kind of nicely leads into uh, uh, another question that I had um, that I want to ask which is what, what sectors of the economy do you think are most important to uh, target in order to make the greatest um,
1: environmental <clears throat> impact? Well, I think most people would instantly hit out at, at gas, right? And I think that makes a lot of sense. But actually, I would say the most important sector to focus on the broad science-based sector of the economy, the economy. Um, aiding sector of the economy the innovating sector of the economy and I I think if we reach out as not only a society but if our government were to reach out to um, the science-based part of the private sector I think we'd you know not only develop um, really well financially as I just talked about but I think we'd also have uh, the most progress in terms of um, fighting against climate change because if we're able to incentivize people to leave the the sector and um, or even stay in the private sector, but to devote their resources to climate-based initiatives and anti-climate change environmental um, studies and, and research, I think that would probably have the most overall impact of, of any sector in Canada. Hmm.
0: That's an interesting perspective. That's not what I was expecting to hear actually. Um, uh, in my opinion, one of the key ones to target would be transportation. Um, right mm-hmm. now I'm, right now I'm looking at, uh, a chart, um, the Canada released, um, which is greenhouse gas emissions by economic, economic sector. And the two biggest, not surprisingly are, uh, oil and gas and transportation. Those together make up just less than half of of the, the total mm-hmm. emissions and so transportation um the need to well reduce the emissions of of transportation um are are reasons why i am in favor of well incentivizing the 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 purchase of hybrid electric vehicles and electric vehicles um i i know that um one of the one of the things that's keeping people from buying electric vehicles is the infrastructure isn't there across the country yet like it is L- like you can't just find these plug-in stations as often as you can find a gas station um but that 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 industry is is currently being worked on the 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 charging station industry and and so um Reducing taxes and subsidizing all of that, I believe, um would would be helpful and I also believe that um well electrification of public transport would be useful as well and also perhaps um well what do you think about what do you think about cities kind of city governments kind of hacking their cities in order to make uh, make it unappealing to drive cars? in cities versus taking public transport.
1: Yeah, I I think that's really important to consider. Um, Well, I'm personally, I love to drive. I love So inherently that's a little unappealing to me, although I do understand where they're coming from. But uh, but I still disagree with, with that approach. Rather, I think, Uh, Devoting resources, like you said, to support the electrification of public transit, along with promoting hybrid and electric cars, is a better solution than making it miserable um, for people to travel within their city. I think that's more of a short-term, short-sighted solution um, that probably has more negative effects than positive effects, because in reality, I'm, I'm not that sure that cities that are doing that are actually reducing um, the amount of cars in their city. I think more likely they're just increasing the amount of time spent in your cars, idling, waiting in traffic, which probably has even worse environmental effects than if they just kept it um, as it was in the first place. But I think transitioning towards electric vehicles is without a doubt incredibly important. Um, And and with regards to public transit, I, I am a little worried personally that we're making the shift maybe a little bit too quickly before we figured out the technology, a, to I guess the most renewable energy possible, um, whereby perhaps we're shifting over too soon. But without a doubt, um, the public of the future of public transit is an electric future. So, so I think transport-based um, solutions is definitely, definitely uh, an important piece of the puzzle of. Solving climate change.
0: Yeah, I see I see what you mean. Um I I have this article in front of me. It's in Car and Driver magazine. It's it's um it's written by Jeff Sabatini and it's called The War on Cars, which um the name is the name of the article is supposed to be over dramatic and kind of ironic because in the end, um Sabatini kind of comes um comes out in the end, in support of the the, the policies dis- discussed in this article and this article is about the city of Seattle um, basically trying to make um, their city well more walkable and more 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 appealing for people with bicycles and this has been done with um, putting in more bike lanes and removing parking spots um, and all of that and it i think it's too early for the results to actually come in yet like this is a fairly recently um written article but ultimately the the writer of the article comes out kind of partly in support of it and when <laughs> uh the 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 article concludes by saying that Cars are still allowed in the city and so if if people who if people get rid of their cars in the city, then it'll just kind of end up being more appealing to the few car drivers who are left because there will be less traffic, Um, which is supposed to contrast with the beginning of the essay where in the article they discuss like the roads leading into Seattle having horrible congestion.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's probably a great example of where they're probably trying to transition away from cars too early. I can speak for London, um, where I live when I'm at, in, in university. Um, for example, they've introduced a, um, a fee when you bring your car into the city of London, um, which they say the fee goes towards environmental initiatives and the like, if I remember correctly. And the purpose of this is to disincentivize people from driving in London. And uh, I'm not sure, I don't have the data on me if it's actually reduced the number of cars coming in. But having spoken to um, many taxi drivers, Uber drivers, um, they seem to think that it uh, actually hasn't done anything. And um, it's something they're very much against because it affects their um, daily business life where they have to work an extra hour or, or whatever it is to um, pay that fee because for many of them, they're unable to afford to live in the city of London, meaning that they have to come into the city every morning to start their job. So I think that's probably one of the negative effects that should be considered about how it can actually detrimentally affect those who are less well off. Hmm. I, see,
0: I see where you're coming from. Um, just a, a side question. Does the European market actually have a a much better selection of
1: electric cars or is that just kind of perception? Um, I think now it's mostly perception, I think it used to, but I think um, the North American market has pretty much, well uh, I'd say actually the European market has a better um, collection of hybrid cars than the North American market, but fully electric cars I think is pretty similar um, to North America. But hybrids do seem to be more popular there. I'm am su- surprised
0: to hear you say that because like, um, um, in in the European market there are full fully electric Renaults and fully electric Volkswagens that aren't sold in the in the North American market, and so it it just seems in my in my casual watching of of uh, car videos on YouTube that it's it's more appealing to be an electric car purchaser in Europe, especially when we're talking about as as we mentioned before, um, charging stations and all that. Like it seems like they've embraced uh electric the electric car market a lot more thoroughly over there.
1: I I think maybe there's a a larger range of companies often fully electrical vehicles Um, But at least from my my experience, uh, um, it hasn't been at a higher rate. And what I mean by that, um, I see, for example, a lot more Teslas or a lot more um, electric Toyotas um, here in Canada than I do um, in Europe. And uh, maybe that's because, uh, well, for a variety of reasons, but I, I think perhaps there's a greater variety of electric cars there. But I would be surprised if there was a much higher uh, propensity of electric vehicles uh, in, in Europe. But uh, but I could be wrong on that. Hmm.
0: Are there any other policies that you think would would be uh, effective for uh, essentially um,
1: reducing the emissions of the
0: transportation industry?
1: Um, well, I, I suppose a gradual phase out of cars, particularly cars that emit uh, large amounts of um, CO2 and, and that sort of thing. So particularly older cars um, would, would probably contribute to it. I don't know how much it would contribute. And at the same time, I think we should consider that, you know, um, driving classic cars is, you know, a hobby for many people. So perhaps policies along the lines of um, limiting the amount you drive um, older gasoline powered cars could be positive, but that 's not something i 'd support um right now i don't think i don't think we're at the stage yet well we're most certainly not at the stage yet where um electric cars are first of all affordable for everybody as well as um desirable for everyone as and we don 't even have this such a supply of electric cars that um would make it possible and I think most car manufacturers pretty much all of them, if not all have publicly come out and said that they're transitioning to transitioning completely to either hybrid or electric future so um, that means that maybe now they only have one electric model or one hybrid model or maybe they don't have any but within 10 years i don't think we'll need to force people to give up gas powered cars because i think what car manufacturers are going to make be make is going to be hybrid It's all going to be electric so i think this is something the government probably shouldn't really get that much involved in aside from um, subsidizing or lowering taxes on electric uh, car purchases and perhaps leases. But aside from that, I don't think the government really needs to stick their nose into uh, this this area of the free market. So we, we've talked so far
0: about um, transitioning current technology and infrastructure Away from away from conventional fuels, and basically, we've talked about what what new technology and infrastructure we're, we're going to adopt. But regarding emissions reduction efforts for the current system, um, I, I really want to know um, what policy what policy would you prefer? Cap and trade carbon tax or something else and there are many others so feel free to answer however you
1: like yeah well um from the data i've looked at on both cap and trade and carbon taxes um at their very best the effects they really have on climate change is you know quite negligible if we're being honest and particularly the way it's been instituted in um, ontario and canada and you know, um, our policies, they haven't been, you know, very infac- effective, as well as we consider the political controversy, you know, they cause, um, I think it's important to look at other solutions. And I think those other solutions would be um, less government-focused, more free market-based, and it would be solutions like we've already talked about, um, relating you know, um, to nuclear energy or promoting things like carbon capture. So I think those sorts of solutions is something we're to look towards rather than trying to adopt models of an axe or cap and trade from countries um, throughout the show you know, have had varying degrees of success. And even if we take their, you know, the best countries that have succeeded the most, I think what we see in reality isn't, uh, you know, really a, a large shift in the fight against climate change. Rather, we see pretty negligible uh, progress. And and maybe something we haven't talked about, which would be quite interesting, is I think we have to recognize as a country that while Canada does contribute to global emissions without a doubt, there are other countries um, such as China, which contribute far more to the global emissions. And if we do a great job in Canada with, I don't know, carbon tax, cap and trade, let's say we plant a bunch of trees and we invest in carbon capture technology, our effect on you know global emissions is still quite small because there's other countries uh, such as indian that are continually polluting you know a ton of carbon emissions and, and uh, it doesn't seem like we're doing much uh, in terms of flexing our diplomatic muscle or um sort of muscle canada has into trying to incentivize these countries which are, you know, uh, contributing the most um, to climate change um, to stop and adopt more um, renewable-focused sort of uh, policies. Hmm. Okay. I'm actually not
0: super familiar with, well, the the energy policies of those countries and the the diplomatic relations between Canada uh, or Britain and those countries. And so... Um, just going on what I know from a sort of domestic perspective, um, among, between cap and trade versus carbon tax, I, I would, I would prefer cap and trade because, because even if they have the same result, uh, cap and trade, uh, is, is more of a, a free market approach. well i mean it's it's more appealing to businesses because it, it gives them a, a greater degree of of choice and also i think it would be less um less of a of a political nightmare because well it's it's not like the the opposition can just say oh we've just imp- they've just imposed a tax and that is that all that money is just going to be downloaded onto Onto citizens, um, especially in the case of cap and trade, where in the early phases of the cap and trade, you don't auction off the credits; you just give the credits to companies. Like in that case, a direct tax increase, as punishment, um, doesn't happen to doesn't happen to the the companies that that are playing within the rules, and so uh it's for that it's for that reason well it's for that reason giving companies a bit more free reign that's why I prefer um cap and trade over carbon tax but in doing some research into it there there are so many other options and I think cap and trade is still my favorite out of all of them uh but but others include um just going to read them off enforced regulation which is just you have to do this you have to reduce um order from the government there's fee and dividend which is like a carbon tax except all of the money collected from uh from the tax gets reallocated to uh Citizens to taxpayers. There's offsets, which I somewhat disagree with because it doesn't actually directly, um, target the decreasing of the emissions itself. Uh, there's there's crediting mechanisms, baseline and credit, results-based climate uh, finance, and then there are are a cup a few at at the end here, which I also think are are to uh, reasonable to consider and I think you've uh, expressed agreement with these as well, Uh, subsidizing green energy uh, in in a company's transition to green technology and providing tax credits for that same purpose, and then of course also voluntary agreements. And so, yeah, so many flavors of of policies.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I think broadly cap and trade, like like you think is probably a better uh, policy than a carbon tax and i think we have had some recent data that does suggest that even at low carbon prices it does have a positive environmental effect but i think we do have to be worried about programs such as cap and trade when we know that um, in certain cases it's quite easy for large companies to um cheat the program whereby um through offsetting emissions and that sort of thing, whereby they're actually not doing um, what they're supposed to be doing. So I think that creates a problem with cap and trade along with probably a more, um, a mental problem, which is determining the carbon price and that sort of thing, uh, would likely fall, um, towards, uh, the current political party in power. And with elections uh, in our democracy um, we could see an example where a certain government um, changes the carbon t- uh, price to something super low where it's not effective or something super high where it's really bad for businesses so i think that's one of the problems with um, emissions trading and i think that's one of the reasons that maybe we should look at um, programs that take less government involvement um, and less continued um government sort of thing every
0: single article i read on cap and trade versus carbon tax um said one common thing is is that the deciding factor uh on which one is preferable isn't the concept itself it's how the program is designed and so when you're uh when you're talking about um what was it? You said you said that um governments could really mess with the the cap and trade system by setting the price um unfairly high or unfairly low. Well that that can be um that can be prevented in design, right? Like, like um if if the if the market for trading emissions credits between corporations is is uh is a free market then then y you won't need to worry about unfair prices within that realm. Uh it's it it's uh and also I think design would be able to um prevent well political messing with the the, the initial auctioning process as well.
1: I think theoretically, that's possible. But then we have to really question um, whether a a party would have the, um, I guess, political uh, power, the political support to design a system where it's difficult for uh, future governments to adjust and uh, make changes. So I sort of question um, how realistic that is. But I suppose, theoretically, a, a design where um, the free market would base, uh, would decide carbon prices is something that would uh, be on the right track if we were to support something as uh, emissions trading. And I, I think I could point to you to one example of um, where cap and trade and a carbon tax as well was um, aimed, was introduced as well as um, was debated about being introduced and then it didn't go so well due to changing, a study would be um, Australia where uh, I think it was in the early 2000s, they um, established a scheme which would introduce a carbon tax as well as emissions trading. And they were forced to walk back and make major changes to this just a few years later because of the election wasn't going so well for them. And then um, I think the, the uh, a different party came to power and changed the scheme a lot to make it less effective. And then they came back to power restoring it and then it got repealed. So I think uh, this would be probably an example of where maybe you would argue that, the, that it is a right in the first place that allowed these parties to make these changes. Um, but I, I think it would be difficult nonetheless to um, design a program which is, um, I guess, which would work well over time, but also wouldn't be changed um, based on the political um, attitude of the time very easily. Uh, although this is, you know, without a doubt, um, impossible
0: so most of most of what we've talked about so far has been pretty reasonable uh in terms of how realistic it is for it to be implemented and how acceptable the policies are to to the general public and so we've talked about ways to reduce the emissions of current um, entities that emit a lot, and we've talked about the future of um essentially the future of fuel and energy but there's there's another <laughs> there's another approach to uh, climate change and this is one that's considered maybe <laughs> what to do if nothing else works um have you ever heard of something called solar radiation management
1: uh I think I've heard of it, but remind me the specifics.
0: So, solar radiation management is basically like,
1: um, like... Oh, is this the, is this the, like, mirror thing?
0: Oh, yeah, it's not just the mirror thing. It's a lot, it's a lot of other crazier stuff, too. So, it's, it's basically like... Okay. Um, it's basically like, if, if, if it comes down to a point where there's no way to reasonably reduce emissions or or reduce the amount of carbon dioxide that's currently in the air um the the kind of last resort approach that some people have in mind is instead of focusing on the carbon dioxide focus on reducing the actual heat by uh, carried through sunlight that enters the earth and basically the way that people the the ultimate means of doing this that um the means of doing this is essentially by making the earth shinier in some way and what you mentioned was, was one of the big one is one of the big hypotheticals which is putting mirrors in space to re- to reflect at least 2% of sunlight cuz that cuz that would it would end the actual warming part of global warming. Um, other policies that people have proposed in order to accomplish the same process of making Earth more ref- physically more reflective uh, include probably the most famous one, which people, some people consider the cheapest one, uh, is dumping uh, sulfate gas. It, or sulfate particles into the, the stratosphere um and then the other one it, which is the one that I think is the most reasonable is pumping water into uh low level clouds and all of this is meant to make make the the earth reflect more sunlight in order to bring less heat into the atmosphere and so I um, I I want I want to hear what what your thoughts are on that uh, weird idea.
1: Yeah, I think the whole topic of climate engineering is super super fascinating, but I think what we have to really keep in mind is that a lot of this stuff is first of all super controversial, and second of all, um, there is a limited degree of research into these various solutions that you talked about. Um, so, I think we, ideas such as this, can only say that these things are last resort. We can't say that, okay, uh, we can all relax because we can, you know, we have solar radiation management to save us. We're definitely not at that point yet. And without a doubt, there's a variety of um, scientists who argue that the um, costs and the detriment that would be caused, such as these would be far more dangerous than the potential saving us from climate change, I suppose, just because it can lead to imbalances of certain um, chemicals in our atmosphere, um, that sort of thing. But I I think 100% we should be devoting research examining climate engineering because at the rate we're we're currently going, it may be our only option, you know, decades from now or centuries from now, this is definitely something to research more. We should devote resources to. We should devote probably government funds to, but I, I don't think we're at a point yet where the research is clear enough that this is something we can um, uh, really focus on. And also, there's such a wide variety of um, like potential solutions in the realm of climate engineering that it's sort of overwhelming um, in the sense that some are obviously more realistic than others. Like. Uh, space mirrors have been um, suggested. Uh, mining moon dust, a uh, cloud that's supposed to shield the Earth, is also been suggested, along with um, um, the cloud based approaches you talked about. Uh, there's just so many potential solutions that we really don't have that much research into. And I think for us to adopt such a solution that potentially has such invasive and um, far-reaching effects, we really need to be extremely certain that we know what we're doing and we know what's going to occur when we go ahead and do something.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. That's a cautious approach. <laughs> that's, a, that's a cautious approach. Right now, there's a Harvard study in progress called Scopex, which is kind of um, sort of testing the waters of the, uh, of whether or not the, uh, the the high altitude aerosol injection plan with with actually works they're not using sulfate particles yet it, and also the results have yet to be re- released it's probably not even not even halfway through but but um i agree with the idea that it, it should be a last resort and one of the reasons why i think it should be a last resort is because um, even though this would solve the temperature change aspect of climate change, it wouldn't do much else for 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 helping people. Like uh, the the other issues associated with climate change, um, reflecting sunlight doesn't do much to address it. Like it it does nothing to address ocean acidification and with the, the with the the sulfate injection policy there are concerns that um there are concerns that the more reflective stratosphere and the and of course the ozone being now composed of a a, a different chemical balance um would affect uh rain patterns it would affect there are concerns that it would also Cause unforeseen natural disasters such as droughts and floods which is which is ironic because those are some of the problems with uh, climate change that a good climate change policy is supposed to actually kind of prevent and so I guess if it gets really down to it emergency wise maybe then if 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 the difference between life and death actually is the temperature change of the Earth, then maybe consider it. But like as you were saying, I agree with you saying that it should be a, a last
1: resort. Yeah, I think without a doubt, uh, climate engineering generally is uh, uh, we or at the in the in the baby steps, I suppose of of looking to it. And perhaps in the next few decades we'll come across a certain climate technology that looks extremely promising and perhaps we'll use that um, in a proactive manner and it'll be super safe. But uh, there, there's, you know, whether or not there's studies that suggest one thing is good, we, we definitely don't have enough um, data to say that we should go ahead with a certain climate engineering-based um, policy, at least for now.
0: This next question is going to be kind of an awkward transition, but um w- what what do you think could be done to make an impact on an, an impact on a, on climate change on an individual level? Like you mentioned um people would make an impact if if they rallied around planting trees, but are are there any
1: other ideas? Um well, of course, yeah. Uh I guess personally I can speak for myself. I'm fortunate enough that I drive an electric car, so I'm helping in that regard. I also plant trees every year. Um so I guess I'm fulfilling my own policy in, in a in a in way, I suppose. That's um I would, um what's that?
0: Oh so, n- n- uh, never mind. I was I was just gonna ask that, that that's cool. You, where where do you plant trees?
1: I in Israel actually. There's a program they have where um you um, can either go yourself and plant trees or you um, donate a certain amount of money and they plant trees proportionate to your donation. And then my dad uh, plants a lot of uh, trees and other plants uh, outside his house. So I sometimes help with that, uh, but mostly the Israeli program. But I, I guess outside of that, um, the obvious things like reducing the amount of plastic we use, um, trying to use reusable, um, things whether they're bottles or other sort of things like that uh, something personally I've been very conscious of more recently is um, something very simple of turning off all the lights in my in my house before I go to sleep and um um that sort of thing only using air conditioning and heating when I actually need it um I think little things like that without a doubt do um help um and that's something that really anyone can do there should be no reason why. You can't double check that all the lights are off in your house. There's no reason um, you can't uh, buy a, a reusable water bottle if you're buying a bunch of, you know, um, plastic bottles. I think things like that will not only help people um, join the fight, I suppose, against climate change, but it will uh, make people more environmentally conscious, generally speaking, which I think has a, a variety of ancillary positive benefits whether it's people going into environmental fields or it's, you know, people just um, on a personal level being conscious of the decisions they make and how it affects the environment and the world at large.
0: Huh, I see what you mean. I have a, I have a couple to add. Uh, so you, you you think it would really actually add up in the end?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, a, a, couple, a couple... Sorry, what was that? I oh. I, I lost my words for a second. Um, a couple I think may be worth adding uh, include using public mm-hmm. transfer, include using pr- public transportation more often. And I I want to hear what you think of this one. Maybe mass
1: vegetarianism among the population. Um, yeah, I don't want to say from pretty much all the data I've seen, there's some serious health concerns with, Vegetarianism, which most people can't adapt to, so I don't think that's something I'd become comfortable advocating for. But I do recognize the um, the environment detriment, environmental detriment caused by the mass slaughter of animals.
0: Well, the reason why I say vegetarianism rather than, uh, veganism, and by the way, I probably sound like, a, I probably sound like a hypocrite saying this because I'm not vegetarian, but, uh, the reason why I say maybe vegetarianism is, is, a, uh, is useful is because, uh, with vegetarianism, you can still keep, like, eggs and dairy and stuff like that, and so you actually still get animal protein, um, it's just like it's just like no no stakes and stuff like that.
1: No, no, I I do understand that, but I think even if you look at average iron levels in vegetarians or um, other uh, health related factors in vegetarians compared to the general population, I think there are some concerning con- trends, specifically over the long term, where something like reduced iron levels can result to actually significant. Um, health issues. That is not to say, um, without a doubt, you can be very healthy and also be vegetarian, but for most people, it's unrealistic to take, um, you know, a variety of supplements every day and be perfect receiving the right amount of each vitamin of each nutrient of each, you know, um, sort of thing you're supposed to intake. So I I really don't think it's realistic. Um, at least for our current way of life, but without a doubt, um, maybe eating meat uh one or two times less a week is probably a positive thing for most people.
0: Huh, I see what you mean. Huh, I'm going to I'm going to need to look into that. Uh but yeah, that's 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 some um Yeah, I'll, I'll look into the the health um the 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 health mm-hmm. results related to, to 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 gradually cutting out meat. Um another question that I have what are your thoughts on um, climate change activism currently? Like you remember last year, uh, there there was a huge uh, climate change protests. Like, what what are your thoughts on that? Does it actually help, um, or if if so, how so, or why not?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I honestly think the only fit of them is well i guess the only two benefits is that people go outside and walk around so they you know gain some physical exercise that they may not have had and then i suppose it also um develops more of an environmentally conscious attitude um for people to reflect in their daily lives but aside from that i unfortunately haven't really seen much real political change caused by these protests and um rallies and that sort of thing that's actually um resulted in real change as well as i think most of the um, rallies and protests are supporting solutions which i'm totally against and i don't think would be effective um far from free market based policies um and then i guess i suppose on a more personal level obviously this isn't empirical but from my interactions with people who are super um uh, i suppose uh, into environmental activism they go to all these protests and rallies I find it really interesting often I see them drinking from a plastic non-reusable bottle or um, something along those lines. I, I um, I think generally they're probably not that helpful. I think if these millions of people put their time into reforming their daily attitudes towards the environment and that sort of thing, they'd cause a lot more change than gathering together outside a government building with some signs and um, running around.
0: When you talked about um, they they are in favor of policies that uh, you wouldn't prefer, what policies would those be, like carbon tax?
1: Well, well, I suppose in Canada, a carbon tax would be one of them. Um, speaking more broadly across the globe, I'm thinking of, um, I guess, uh, people advocating for uh, the government to um, literally uh, mandate the amount that can be emitted from certain sectors and from certain companies finding companies for you know in, uh, going past these limits along with you know the the types on the left who so that you know the problem of, of climate change is the problem of capitalism rather than um, other other causes so I guess I'm re- referring to those people um those ideas, um, the notion that capitalism is the problem, which is something I, I don't agree with. And I, I think capitalism is fundamental to the solution, like we discussed earlier.
0: Huh. I see what you mean. Um, re- regarding those protests, um, I I kind of agree with what you're saying of, about them not being effective. But I have sort of mixed feelings about them uh like the the best thing that they can do is show that there actually is public will behind behind the change and when when millions of of people kind of gathered at the same time in September 2019 i th- i think that's something that was kind of uh shown um but but regarding uh but regarding regarding their their chosen policies, definitely some of them um uh, are are purely anti-capitalist and purely um pure, purely um, pro uh, pro authoritarian policy. But the the thing about protests is is especially ones that have unified a lot of people. Is is that they may be unified on a that one issue but they may be unified in terms of their preferred goal but the means which is often not discussed in on, on protest signs and in in chants the the means of how to do it i think there actually is a diversity of thought like like um like like for example in the recent anti police brutality protests like the a common chant among protesters w- and a common goal among protesters was def- defund the police however um their means of doing so actually varied widely like you you had the most extreme of course who advocated for like literally just abolishing the police and leaving nothing else there but then there are also other policies about like um, taking some money and uh, reallocating it to to kind of blend the uh, blend nine one one services with um, mental health services and um, uh, others who proposed well giving police better better training to deal with uh well, wellness checks and all that and so the the unifying chant was de- defund the police but the means of how, how to get there and to the extent is is varying widely among well each individual different different mind uh at those rallies and and so i think that's definitely the same case with with um Climate change activism, because you know some people might prefer carbon tax, some people might prefer cap and trade, some people might prefer um, as we were talking about the transition to green energy uh, and so yeah the the, that, the the sort of the the strange diversity of thought among protesters, which actually does exist, isn't captured when when uh, when their arguments are summed up on like tiny signs. Uh, and when the thing that you hear most often is them repeating the same thing, the same chants, and so when it comes to activists, they're unified in the, the when it comes to activists, they're unified in the goals, but not unified in the means. I would say.
1: I, I suppose that's fair. I think broadly on protest, I think probably the most effective thing they can do is go out and vote, vote for the people that they think reflects their interests. And I think um, particularly amongst young people, this is um, not as often the the case as I think most people would like to see happen because I think the actual impact um, on legislation that somebody going out to vote for a certain political platform rather than going outside a building with a sign is much um, more impactful on the side of actually going to vote then politicians see that, oh, if I embrace more environmentally focused initiatives, then I'm going to gain votes. And I think that's more likely to incentivize political parties to um, positively promote um, the environment and that sort of thing. But but frankly, um, I would disagree with most of the end goals of many of these protesters. Like when I was walking um, through London while these climate strikes and protests were going on, the amount of signs that said something along the lines of end climate change, end capitalism, that I, I honestly, from my recollection, that was um, as often as signs relating to anything else. So that's something I'm totally against. Um, as, as an end, I would almost certainly be against the means as well um, and, and I think that's more than fair to say, and it, if we're looking at the riots and protests um going on throughout the u s currently and across the globe um, sort of for example i'm i'm against defunding the police, and while certain means for defunding the police may be better than others, that doesn't mean uh, that doesn't take away from me being against the end goal and I think most people would um, be against the end goal as well. So I I do recognize that there is diversity of thought amongst protesters, there are definitely people um, at these climate protests who don't want to end capitalism, or they disagree about the way of ending capitalism, or they'd like to see capitalism limited, or something along those lines. And similarly today, there's people who don't want to defund the police, there's some people who want to abolish the police, as you mentioned, there's some people who want to make a bit of a reallocation of funds. Without a doubt, there's diversity of thought amongst protesters. But I think one of the problems with protests in general is it's very difficult to capture this diversity of thought. And the reason for that is usually the loudest person at the protest with the biggest sign gets the most attention. And then people automatically assume and wrongfully assume that, oh, they're the one getting all the attention. They represent the rest of the protest. If their sign says, capitalism is the cause of climate change. This means the protest is against capitalism, or if their sign says abolish the police immediately, this means the protest um, is they all want to abolish the police. And obviously that's not true, but I think that's just the way um, things work in our modern um, media age. And I think that's really un- for- unfortunate. And I think that's one of the problems um, with the um, how effective protests are, are today. And I guess on a personal level, one thing I really enjoy doing in my spare time is I like listen, um, watching these YouTube videos of people going to political protests and interviewing people from both sides of the, the political spectrum and just asking them very easy guiding questions and hearing what these people at the protests you know, actually think. And it really is amazing. And I think you touched on this a little bit is how they may be there for the same protests. their views on the subject could be arrived to by completely different manners or they could have totally different views on the subject or wider subjects but they're just unified on a single element of the protest and I think that's really uh, important and I think that really needs to be recognized but I'm not sure how for the general public when they look at these protests how we the media and uh, both mainstream as well as independent as well as the protesters themselves can do a better job um, explaining, um, their aims and, and that sort of thing. And I think that's something that's really, um, important. Hmm. I see what you
0: mean. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's, uh, It's very thoughtful, actually. Um, in terms of sort of rallying cries that, that will be the case in the future, um, here's one that here's one that i i wonder i wonder if, if it'll gain traction um a little while ago i had talked about this once um in a pre in a previous interview but there's this article um in a in a british columbia newspaper call online newspaper called the tie and this article is by anna dodd and it it uh the article is called the Trudeau government defers to experts on COVID-19, why not climate change and it basically presents the argument that that uh during COVID-19 the government saw a clear threat ahead and acted and I I I think that one of the rallying cries um in the post-COVID world will be Governments face this threat. Why not face climate change down in, in a similar fashion with the same level of priority? And so I'm wondering, do, do you think that'll be a, 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 common, a common sort of idea in the future?
1: Uh, idea meaning that governments um, put more faith in terms of devising policy in the experts on the, those policy matters? Is that what you mean? Well, that could be answered too. That's actually a good
0: question that I didn't think of, but I was thinking like, do you think people will go to the government with the message, this is a crisis, referring to climate change, why can't we approach this with the same urgency, priority and and nonpartisanship as COVID-19? Do you think people will liken the two crises?
1: I think that's definitely possible. And I think um, we've seen a little bit of that already um yeah i i think that's something that's definitely possible i think with the, the more interesting question is whether if this occurs it will be effective and frankly i'm not sure it will be just because um with covid it's like you know people are literally dying right now in the hundreds um in ontario for example right In climate change, we're talking about people dying by much more than the hundreds, but we're talking about people dying over time. And I think it's a lot harder to unify people when you say, oh, um, the experts tell us, I don't know, that 100,000 people are gonna die due to various climate change reasons within the next two decades. It's a lot harder to convince people to take action now when um, the, the reason we're taking action is in the future. And I think that's something that's, quite distinct between the issue of climate change uh, when you compare it to COVID. So I frankly, I don't think such a comparative will will be too effective. Um, and then I think more broadly, I think generally the governments, governments do refer to experts when devising policy. Um, probably there is more room for this in decision-making, but I, again, I don't think this is gonna be such a huge change.
0: Hmm. I I see what you mean. I mostly agree with that. I think that I think that I think that um this will be uh, a a phrase like you approach this crisis uh with a p- sense of promptness, why not approach the other crisis the same way? I think that phrase will be um adopted by uh activists, but like you, I also agree that it won't be particularly effective and I think one one thing that one thing that is common between crises such as covid-19 and others like 911 for example or various wars is that there's a visual symbol that you can you can you can literally see um death in a picture like it, 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 with 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 wars it's fairly it's fairly uh, easy to see what i'm talking about like burning buildings and 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 dead soldiers but in covid-19 it's also you can see overcrowded hospitals and you can put that in a picture um but with w- but with um climate change um i think the fact that it kind of lacks a visual symbol or a distinct visual symbol uh is something that prevents it from uh, prevents the crisis of climate change from motivating a lot of prompt, immediate action. Um, And climate change has symbols, things that some people can consider to be visual symbols, such as hurricanes or societies without water. But, But like you said, because this is kind of a slow moving issue, it's difficult, like, people don't care as much and like with 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 a natural disaster such as a cli- uh, a hurricane people can just point to it and say well that was just going to happen anyway you can't just directly credit that to climate change even if it is um and so i think i think the the rallying cry will be adopted among activists but it w- won't be effective because you know that symbol of of promptness isn't there
1: yeah, I, I think this is one of the broad concerns I have with um, climate change mitigation and prevention uh, focused efforts generally, because we've heard so much about global warming for so long. I think it's really difficult to maintain the political willpower over a, a long period of time to implement really solid um, climate change measures. And I think that's one of the reasons that free market based approaches will be so effective, because even if you don't have the political willpower, if you're able to make money off things that help the environment, um, then people are going to do that, if at the very least just to make money and then have the ancillary benefit of also helping the environment. But that that does concern me um, quite a bit. And I think that is an issue that's um, directly related to climate change and climate change may be, the single best example we have of a really urgent issue where we're not really treating it as such an urgent issue.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> if it gets too bad, we can always just resort to the space mirror <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> or this, Let's hope or the stratospheric aerosol injection, you know, just, just like if, if, <laughs> if it's clear that no one's going to budge. Speaking of, speaking of COVID-19 actually, um, how do you think COVID-19, the the aftermath of the crisis will kind of impact the future of climate change policy, both from a private sector and public sector perspective?
1: That's a tough question, because on first thought, it seems that, you know, disease prevention and that sort of thing is quite distinct from um, climate related policies and environment related policies. Um, but I, I think... I guess would probably a broad similarity would be in terms of future solutions would just be us being able to come together for a period of time and um, stay at home and social distance and um, all sort of be on the same wavelength in terms of what we have to do. And I think one could compare this to climate change in the sense that once we finally realize how urgent of an issue it is, perhaps we can all come together again and adjust our daily habits to uh, become you know better protectors uh, of the earth but in terms of um, more specific um, COVID related policies and how they could apply to um, climate change prevention I think probably the only thing that I could think of off the top of my head would be relating to the technological progress we've made in such a quick amount of time in terms of Um, development of drugs slash vaccines, as well as COVID tracking mechanisms, that sort of thing. Uh, If we're at the current pace we are with dealing with climate change, we're definitely going to need a last push in the final hours to to speak proverbially um, to, you know, save our our world from the destruction that climate change may very well bring. So I think those would be the two main, um, you know, things we could transfer.
0: I see. I see what you mean. So you're mostly looking at it from the perspective of like what kind of tendencies can we learn from the COVID-19 crisis and our response from it um that we can also kind of transfer to uh our our approach to climate change.
1: Mhm. Yeah, exactly.
0: I think that um COVID-19 the atmos- the aftermath of, of how it's going to kind of impact the business sector impact the private sector may actually be negative in a way because well a lot of companies during during COVID-19 a lot of companies have uh, kind of been forced to embrace forced to embrace working from home Uh, and now that people know that that's actually a, a a viable thing that companies can offer and the company can still actually run with people operating from home you know like it, the uh the increased burden on the internet um if if this actually if working from home actually becomes more of a norm in the post covid world then the increase uh, the, then the burden on the internet would be increased which which may actually increase our our burden of of like um electricity we need to provide uh into the grid and electricity we need to provide to people although there may be a positive if 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 covid19 has really made people appreciate kind of being home and made people appreciate um traveling less and this may actually be a result, a indirect result of of working from home becoming a, a new norm. Um, then that may also cause a, a a decrease in well emissions through transportation. So who knows which,
1: who knows what's gonna win out and become the net change. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a very interesting point, and not something I thought of. Uh, instantly. But I think that's definitely um, something that it could have positive effects on the future if we develop a more work-from-home attitude. Um, yeah, that would definitely, I would think, reduce transportation-related emissions. Um, and that would probably have uh, other positive benefits. So I'm very curious to see if um, naturally that's something uh, we begin to, the private sector begins to support and um, encourage, actually. Yeah, I-, I think that's super interesting. Perhaps if you have, you know, one last question to end us off, that would be great. Actually, I- I've asked all
0: the questions that I would like to ask, and so um, is there anything you would like to to add before we wrap this up? Anything you would like to ask me or anything, statements you'd like
1: to make? Well, I think I'd just like to say that I thought the discussion was super insightful and I think it's super important um, for people to engage in discourse just like this because even if it's a subject maybe you're not the most knowledgeable on or you just have some you know emotions or feelings about it's still I think important to engage with other people about this because um, I think a population that um, commonly debates and discusses is is a better population um um generally speaking and I'm really glad that we could find some um, common ground regarding climate change policies and I would, I would hope for any listeners who um, made it to the end and perhaps don't share similar political affiliations to I and maybe are more on the left leaning side that perhaps just some of the policies I mentioned would maybe not be everything you want, but it would be a step in the right direction and something you can get behind. And I think if we have um, more discussion and um, more debate like that in everyday politics, I think um, we're we're better off as a society. So I just wanted to thank you again, um, Ryan, for having me on. Yes. Um, if anyone's interested in um, checking out uh, the podcast I'm part of, uh, you can look up "Suit on any podcast store and check us out. Um, but I'd love to come back on at any point, Ryan, and I'm sure we'd love to have you on our show as well at some point in the future. So thank you again.
0: Thanks. The recording cut out just as you were saying pseudo-intellectuals, so his podcast is the pseudo intellectuals it's available well on pretty much every other podcast uh, every every platform that you can find civ news on you can also find pseudo intellectuals on because well both both of our uh, podcasts are are uploaded via anchor and so yeah thanks thanks a lot for coming on abraham this has been real this has been a really good one like it it really forced me to do a a deep dive into a, a subject that i wasn't super well versed on And
1: so, yeah, I I learned a lot in preparing for this, and in and in talking with you. Great, that's really uh, that makes me very happy to hear that. So, thanks again, Ryan. Thanks, thanks so much.